Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. Welcome back. I hope you're having a good start to your holiday season here in 2023. I mean, I don't know about you, but I already see stuff in the stores about holidays before we even see Thanksgiving. And I'm like, there's a lot to be thankful for, no matter how you feel about the valuation profession at this point in time. And today I'm very thankful for our guest, Luke Tomaszewski, fabulous and very interesting individual in the profession. Before we jump into it, just a quick reminder, definitely hit the like button and type it in to the chat, go ahead and share this out because as we continue to expand the reach and increase the breadth, more and more people, both in the industry and those considering the industry, are really being positively impacted. I appreciate Ramona reaching out this past week, just sharing what great takeaways she got from a season one episode that she went back and picked up. And the same thing for, for Johnny, who has uh, really kind of gotten a lot more into investing, but didn't realize there were so many more secondary opportunities for valuation of so with that, we're going to jump right in. Luke, thanks for joining us. Mike, great seeing you again. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, you know, we love to kick it off with that opening question. So were you born this way or how did you get into the profession? Yeah, just one of those random ones. So uh, nothing like, you know, the majority of the appraisers of getting into it, you know, via family member. So my story is completely different where just, you know, around high schoolish, I was doing construction, you know, in the summers and then college about the same thing. So had a light interest in, you know, real estate. And then parents were refining their house. One day had a guy walking through the property, taking photos, measurements, simply asked him who he is, what he's doing. He told me he's an appraiser. I had no idea what that was, but he explained, you know, what he does. Yeah, no idea. So he explained it to me, you know, what the general process is. I just thought, you know, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, you know, I've got a bit of an interest. And then fast forward a few years later, the Chicago Association of Realtors were offering appraiser classes. So I said, what the hell? You know, I remember what that guy told me about it, took the classes and became a licensed appraiser back then. And then my headaches really started with how do you get your hours? How do you find a mentor? And oh, that was a rabbit hole. That is quite the rabbit hole. Were you a broker at the time that you were affiliated with the Chicago Association of Realtors? No, uh, zero anything to do with real estate. I mean, the closest time that I had were just, you know, the odd jobs in the summer doing construction. I was just driving down uh, Irving Park one day, which is where one of the car offices is. And I remember in the window, they just had a piece of signage that said, you know, sign up for appraiser classes and caught my interest and took the course and passed the state exam. And then I... Had to find a uh, supervisor, which is not easy. Well, that's a whole different problem. Between uh, your summer jobs and when you got into appraisal, what other work were you doing? Were you still in construction or did you go off and join a different industry? Oh, it was a whole thing. It was construction. I remember I sold cell phones for quite some time for, God, it was T-Mobile was quite a bit, Verizon, so all those guys. So I had, you know, pretty, pretty deep passion for, you know, what the cell phones could do. And, you know, as they got smarter over the years, I always kept track of that. But yeah, it was just a lot of odd jobs until I really got into the appraisal arena along with, you know, school and everything. Wow. So you sound like came into the industry like so many, took some classes. Now you're like, okay, so I passed a test. Now what? What was your answer and, and maybe painful experience to now what? So, you know, first thing was, you know, asking my parents if they know anybody in real estate. They did that. So it was really <laughs> starting from ground zero. So I took this big, big book called The Yellow Pages, whoever remembers that. <laughs> the yellow pages. I would heard somebody talking about it the other day. They're like, you mean the landing page was yellow? I'm like, no, no, it's a, it's, it's probably the biggest book you've ever yeah. held. So yeah, just <laughs> called every appraisal company in Illinois, you know, asking if they take me out as a trainee. The answer was no. So then I really thought about, you know, what do the appraisers need? And, you know, back then it was, you know, a relationship with a mortgage broker. So I called all of them again, told them, Hey, I know a lot of brokers. A lot of them said, yes, we'll hire you then. So I really had to, you know, very quickly find some new broker friends that I did not know. So it was a lot of driving up and down, you know, the major streets in Chicago, hopping into mortgage company offices and just telling them, hey, I'm an appraiser. Here's a $50 off coupon. Please use me. And that's how it all started. I love it. 
I think that's fantastic. Talk about the persistence and talk about creativity. I mean, you invested time and effort to get the license. Now you're like, I need to do something with it. You got in front of people. I mean, people do business with people. That's such a great thing. So here you go. You call the same people back who had previously said no, and now they start saying yes to you. (laughs) Good for you. That's exciting to hear. Congratulations. Did you work with multiple people at the start or just focus with one uh, individual or one firm? Uh, See, that started with one firm. Then I transitioned over to a second firm for probably the last six months because it was a minimum of two years that you needed. Had all of my own, you know, clients when we started. It was, you know, just a rough start where you've got to get your own clientele. You do the split fee with the mm-hmm. supervisor. And then, you know, went back to school, got the certified license when that came in, you know, opened up my own little shop in Chicago. Oh, congratulations. How many years after you got your your first license to opening up your own business? What was that time that passed? It was a straight two years. So yeah, I got the license and then the certification came right about two years after. And, you know, right when that envelope came in, had to come up with a really good name. So out with Luke's appraisal services, as most appraisers do. Fantastic. It was uh, recognizable. Yes. And easy. (laughs) Did you start out in commercial uh, properties, residential properties, both, neither? Residential, commercial, I am not that smart. So I took the the easier option. I didn't want to spend too much time, you know, digging into the numbers like you guys do. So here you are, you're you're doing residential. What was it like to help people get a sense of timing? Because we have individuals who've been in the profession. I was just chatting with someone who'll be joining us this season, like 50 years in the profession. I mean, he talks about like when electricity came in. Um, and then we have others who who came in and they've only known like digital technology. Like where was your early experiences? first visiting properties and preparing appraisal reports. I've been in it for about 18 years now. So when I started, the market was still going like this. It was, you know, before 08, but it was really cool. I, I really enjoyed the start. It was, you know, driving out the properties, uh, measuring it with, you know, either the tape or the wheel, collecting all that data, going back to, you know, the office and putting the report together. And then over time, you know, you'd see a few minor advancements with, you know, going from the tape to a laser now you've got the you know digital measuring via the phone, a lot of different applications. But yeah, the start was pretty simple. I mean, I literally started with a vinyl 100 foot tape. Then you know one of the debates was you know go with the wheel. I never liked the wheel, so I never opted in for that one. And yeah, really simple. I mean, it was literally a clipboard with a piece of paper and a mechanical pencil is how advanced that it was. Ooh, you had a mechanical pencil. Wow, nearly unlimited lead. That is a phenomenal thing. As an insurance adjuster once told me, when I asked him on a property we were visiting, I've, I've invested in a ton of buildings over the years, and sometimes you have losses. And I'm like, I was like, hey, man, like, what's up with that? He goes, Michael, he goes, the pencil works in all weather. Yes. He goes, do you know how cold it is out here? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I've got, I feel like I have two jackets on right now. He goes, your pen may very likely not work. I'm like, oh, that doesn't happen. And sure enough, like on a, sometime in the next week or two, like the pen just didn't work. I'm like, yes. oh, your pencil. And I've, I've kept the pencil ever since um, as a backup to the digital stuff. Exactly. Wow, that's fantastic. So did you, um, you know, you get this experience where uh, it sounds like you were primarily doing residential lending work then? Farm work? Exactly. And did you travel all over the uh, the great green earth of uh, northern Illinois or did you kind of stay in particular geographies? Uh, really just like six counties in Chicago land. So everything was pretty close within an hour drive. So we never had to go too far. There was, you know, a lot of properties here. I mean, we were pretty busy for the most part. Uh, I remember thinking, you know, when I got one appraisal a week, that was great. And I thought to myself, if I got one a day, my God, would that be the goal? <laughs> hey, it's good to have goals, you know, start start and build from there. When you uh, early on, what particular property stood out for you? We were like, oh my goodness. Either you're so excited to get to do it or you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to measure this or appraise this property. I mean, I remember the, you know, the instructors that we had in school, they said, you know, they loved the simple, easy cookie cutter properties. And I thought to myself, that's crazy. I want to do the big, expensive, fun mansions. They're cool to see the big mansions that are, you know, 10 to 15,000 square feet. You'll learn from them. And I think you need to do those just to, you know, keep learning, you know, to be a better appraiser. But I definitely go and, you know, a few years down the line, I, I completely understood what they said with, you know, they like the easy cookie cutter because you can knock that report out quickly. But if that's all you do, you're never going to grow as an appraiser. I mean, I talk to appraisers where they really pigeonhole themselves into, I only do, you know, 1004s. 
and then you ask them to do a 1025 and they have no clue or they only do suburbs and they can't do the city. I think, especially with where the market's headed, you've got to get comfortable, you know, get out of that comfort zone and figure out new ways to appraise in different areas that you're not too familiar with, because that's where we're headed in my opinion. So Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, Having uh, some breadth of experience and in depth in more than one area uh, is a good insulator. So you get in the profession 18 years ago, almost two years to the date you're out, you start Luke's appraisal service. And then has it always been that way? Has it changed a bit over time? Did you just stay in the six county region you mentioned of Northern Illinois when those first couple of years? For the most part with the firm, yeah. For the most part, you know, that's where we stayed. Um, really never expanded, you know, out from there. HVCC hit back then, so, you know, we lost a lot of clientele, uh, you know, AMCs came into play, which was nothing new. We just, those relationships expanded over time. 08 hit a lot of foreclosure volume. That's really where the idea, you know, fell into my head with, you know, the proxy pick side of the company where we were doing a lot of driving, you know, an hour across town just to get, you know, simple exterior photos of properties and with the experience that I had selling cell phones back then, seeing crowdsourcing platforms like Uber and Lyft uh, becoming a bit more popular, I just had the idea of, you know, I'd love to pay somebody a few bucks that I know is, you know, nearby that property just to get a photo for me. And that's really how it all started from the REO days of just driving around and burning a lot of tide going back and forth. That completely makes sense. Up to the point that you kind of focused on crowdsourcing, was your whole focus still residential lending or had you diversified a little out of residential lending? No, you know, the whole time it was just residential lending. Yeah, we really never deviated from that. Once we opened up the proxy pick side of the company a few years after that, that's when we started really exploring, you know, different industries. So we were really just trying to solve, you know, our initial problem along with, you know, our clientele of just getting photos nationally at that point for different purposes. Could be home equity lending, could be portfolio, could be default or servicing. But that's how it all really started, just from the REO side of the business. It was just a lot of driving and thinking, you know, there's got to be a better, quicker way to do this. Definitely agree with you on that one. Nothing worse than uh, having an assignment with a client. And, you know, I, I was, you respect the fact that they want to have eyes on the competing assets. And it just so happens when you're putting the report together, you're like, yeah, this one isn't it. Or I found something else. You're like, oh my gosh, where do I have to go to? Like, how long is that drive one way for that photo? I could felt the pain. I dare say that everybody listening has felt some of that pain along the way. I'm curious, one thing that you've demonstrated early on in your career is that creativity and that sense of kind of hustle and making things happen. How did you back, uh, you know, say when HVCC came in and, you know, we got walloped. All of a sudden you get that phone call saying, hey, uh, so-and-so is now your client. I'm like, no, 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 they're not. I work with the bank. And they're like, no, not anymore. I'm like, how did you uh, go about developing clients? And then how did you go about rebuilding the business when we had some of those significant hits? You know, just like with every business that you're in, I think, like you said, beginning, it's all about the relationships. So it's just, again, creating new relationships with different people in business. I mean, you're always going to have a new headache to deal with every day. So you just have to learn to pivot and readjust and and you'll be fine. One story that I'll always share is, you know, in the 08 days when the REO business came, a lot of appraisers drastically struggle. I mean, we did too in the beginning, but luckily, you know, we found that opportunity and we really quickly figured out how to do foreclosure appraisals, which really nobody did before 08. I mean, it's been a while since you had to. So really quickly to learn that. And, you know, the REO side of the business kept us busier than what we've ever done before that. So just like, you know, when HVCC came, it was just creating new relationships and uh, leveraging them as best as we could for mutual benefit. And the landscape's always going to change. It'll continue to change. Man, that's a, that's as true a statement as they come. With uh, pre-HVCC and even after, but it sounds like uh, you've really focused on a lot of local relationships. We started doing a lot of conferences in the valuation space. You know, that started creating more national context and that really started opening that world up. But yeah, initially it was all local. Again, appraisal was a whole new topic to me. So just trying to figure out the local context, the local market, that was, you know, step one. And then once you start, you know, getting into the conference circuit, it really opens up your eyes to talking to the people at banks, at AMCs, the reviewers, and really learning what you do when you fill out that form and, you know, throw a value on it. What happens after that? And that was a whole new learning curve. Yeah, it's a big eye opener at that point. You're like, oh, you mean other people also look at this? It's like, oh, you don't even know. It's like somebody else, like the public reading your diaries. You're like, oof, 
Look at that. So between the time of HVCC and 2008, before you got into the foreclosure space, I interpret from just your comment, sounds like you had uh, started to build a bit of a team. How did that go for you? Good. Kept expanding into other areas of the country after that. Team kept getting bigger as you're growing your business. I mean, when you start off, you know, by yourself, you 100% rely on yourself. And I remember hiring that first employee and clients would call. You knew exactly what that client needed and you had to get comfortable to letting other people do things that you did in the past. And that took quite a bit of getting used to because the simple thought process and every founder's head is just give me the phone. I'll take care of that. And, you know, two minutes, I know it's going to take you 10. That kept happening. You know, more employees kept coming on and you just have to get used to it. And at this point, that's the only way to do it. So before leading up to the, the great financial crisis, how many markets were you serving? It sounds like you expanded beyond Illinois. Yeah. You know, we got into probably about the low forties, right in that range. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. At that point, did you keep everyone like they worked with you and they kind of worked in their local market or did you bring everybody on as employees or how did you take that on? Because most people don't have the wherewithal, Luke, to accomplish what you have done just even up to 2008. It was a mix. You know, we had anybody that worked, you know, internally in the office for, you know, operational or review support was an employee. And then um, outside appraisers, outside of Illinois, you know, would go under that contractor basis then. Well, fantastic. Did you use any particular structures or protocols to kind of keep people connected? Or is it just when assignment came up in an area, you sent it to them? No, just very simple. When the assignment came up, you know, in the area, we'd send it to them, you know, we'd keep the relationship close in terms of we'd keep, you know, a small group of appraisers. Uh, we wanted to keep them engaged, you know, understand our process, uh, really prioritize our work. And, you know, it didn't matter if the appraiser was, you know, 20 minutes away in Chicago or if they were you know, on the other side of the country, we had a very close relationship with them where, you know, they could call you, you know, bounce a couple of ideas off your head where, my God, I just did this inspection and yeah. I don't know how to tackle it. Um, and that was the really cool thing that, you know, we still do today where if you just have, you know, another appraiser to talk to, say, you know, the appraisers that work solo with, you know, no relationship, yeah. it's not a good idea. You've got to have, you know, a couple of friends that are appraisers. And even if they don't know the answer, just talking it through the problem, you'll really come up with a solution, I think. I heard someone say it before, and I think you just summed it up well, and that is none of us is as small, as smart as all of us. And that ability to like one plus one equals three or more yes. because something that might be shared or, hey, I haven't done that, but I've, I have worked on, uh, like we just had one came up the other day, a, a skating rink. He's like, what's an additional use for a skating rink? Because this is not it. I'm like, I'm like we got to zoom out. Here's how... Like, let's walk through this whole development of value and market analysis. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, don't just jump right into searching the comps. Like, that's why highest and best use is so important. You got to yeah. get that stuff done first. He's like, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, Luke, that is phenomenal. And great to hear that you still, uh, those relationships that you cultivated still are supportive today and helping, you know, peers really solve complex problems and help make great decisions going forward. Oh, yeah. It makes it fun. Oh, very much so. And so you mentioned about, hey, here's this thing called a foreclosure appraisal. You know, the whole, hey, can we get a drive-by and you have no idea what's on the inside? And can we get some maybe short value on it, like 90-day valuation? You're like, what? That's crazy. How did you get yourself up to speed and therefore get your team up to speed? Was it uh, Fred Flintstone, one hand on the wheel and one on the road? Or <laughs> were there some other tools or techniques or training that you looked to? You know what? Um, it was, I think I was at a CE class somewhere, ran into a guy that, you know, did REO appraisals ages ago. And I asked him if he did, I was spending a couple hours with me, just, you know, showing me, you know, what an REO done them is, how on earth do you come up with this, you know, 30 day value, spent a couple of hours with him, you know, he showed me the basics and that's always the hardest part is just, you know, finding somebody to give you that intro course into it. Yes. And then over time, you know, you'll figure it out. So that was really how uh, the REO world opened up to me. And my God, was there an abundance of, you know, default work, especially in our area of Chicago. So we, uh, sadly, Chicago was once again a leader. Yes. We had the leader in the, they were fighting with New York for the top title for the longest yeah. period of time to go through a foreclosure, approaching like 700 days on a property. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah, the amount of default servicing in the Chicagoland area was, uh, oof, that was a new bear. <laughs> that it was. So here you have this uh, joyous experience of 
of taking on more work than you ever thought was possible through the REO experience, but then also dealing with the problem, which is getting photos to fulfill clients' requests. You were, you know, having had some background, you mentioned in, in cell phones and being around technology, you're like, hey, this crowdsourcing thing, this there might be something to it. How did this idea start to come into existence, which is now ProxyPix? Yeah, so it really just originated from, you know, driving out an hour across town just to get a photo. And um, like I said, Uber, Lyft were becoming a bit more popular. So the crowd for crowdsourcing concept was, you know, being that much more accepted. Smartphones kept getting smarter every year with, you know, the things that they could do. They started, you know, putting better cameras in, GPS devices. You know, I laugh about the days when, you know, we had a digital camera, a separate GPS device and a clipboard and everything. I mean, you could fit it all into, you know, the phone now with the LiDAR sensors and actually everything. It's crazy. So that's how it all started. It was simply from that. And it was just an idea back then where, you know, I have no technical background whatsoever. So it was an idea that came and went a few years later, you know, the idea popped back into my head where, you know, nobody's doing it, you know, it really seems like it would be a benefit, you know. Just our industry was, you know, the initial thought process, a lot of positive feedback, you know, and I, you know, talked to a few people about it. And after that, I said, you know, what the hell, let's, let's try it. So we hired our first developer in California, uh, applied for a utility patent on the technology, and we built our MVP to simply provide exterior photos nationally in 24 hours or less for a reasonable few is the core concept, you know, that we were trying to solve for. That's phenomenal. And that you uh, really encouraging to hear. I don't hear a lot of people in the in the space talk about patents. So you actually filed a utility bet. I did. Yep. So that was a fun process all in itself. Holy cow. Was that like brain damage or what? I mean, I I don't I I know a little bit about that, but not much. Uh that's a that's an undertaking. It is, yeah. Luckily it was my first rodeo. Um I got a design patent a couple of years before that on something completely different. So I had a bit of insight on that side of the world. Got it. Uh, but I very quickly learned, you know, the difference of a design patent, which is the literal design of something, and a utility patent, which is how the process of something works, are two very different things. So it was, you know, a very intense process of, you know, mapping out how everything's gonna work. It was very time consuming, expensive. But it was a good exercise, you know, you got to really go through everything on how you want the application to work, what problems it will solve. So it was a good experience in that regard. But yes, uh, it definitely hurt my head doing it. And it took some time. <laughs> well, I'd say inquiring minds want to know, you. so you'd previously been involved around the patent space. What type of design patent had you applied for? Totally different business. Um, it was called the Meter of Beer back then. So a long time ago in college. I mean, we did a trip to Europe. Sure. Instead of ordering, you know, pitchers and buckets of beer, they have something called a Meter of Beer, and you put the, it was ten highball glasses in there, and we fell in love with the idea. We you know built a few here and sold them to some bars locally, and got a design patent on it, and. That was one of those businesses that, you know, didn't go as well as we wanted it to. And uh, that's what you got to get comfortable with is, you know, starting something and being comfortable with failure. So that was one of those. I uh, I love that. Uh, taking a college uh, point of appreciation and turning it into, uh, yes. turning into an opportunity. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, so that's what it was. That is amazing. So what prompted you to consider getting a utility patent versus just coming up with an idea and, and starting to develop it? You know, really, before we got it out into the market, uh, we just wanted to make sure, you know, I thought it was, you know, a great idea that, you know, a lot of people would try to follow on with. So we figured, you know, let's get that utility pad. It should really cover us as much as possible. So it was just protection at the end of the day. So instead of, you know, going out publicly at first, we, you know, found an attorney, you know, worked with our developer and just putting all the pieces together. So it was really, you know, when we do release this publicly, we're at least covered because I'm sure, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition, people with deeper pockets than, you know, me starting the company. Um, so that was the core concept behind it is to let's just get the paperwork done and then we could comfortably, you know, move on this. The nice thing with patents is you can do something called a provisional patent. That's a really easy and expensive one. And that gives you about a one year runway to start on the, you know, pricier, more intense one, which is the utility. So it lets you at least start on the idea to have it protected beforehand. That's fantastic. And that, what great experience you're sharing there. That a lot of people probably don't even know about the difference between a provisional patent versus stepping up to a design patent versus getting a utility patent, the potential insurance that provides. 
Um, and also, um, ultimately, is a validation potentially for your MVP, but the MVP ultimately is supported by the market response more than anything else. Yes. That's phenomenal. How long did it take to, I, I take it you succeeded in getting the utility patent. How long was that whole process? Yeah, we did. Maybe a year, year and a half, right in that range, total process time. Um, so you'll get your provisional, which is a quick, easy one to get. That really gives you a year's worth of redemption. But you have to start the paperwork for the utility or design within that one-year time frame. Otherwise, it lapses out. So I think we were all in just when we started the utility just over a year, maybe into a year and a half is how long the process took. Holy cow. And did you pull out your meter of beer at that point and celebrate? I mean, is that, uh, is that how this goes? No, I think, you know, those things are, you know, just sitting in the garage at that point. And yeah, we, we forgot about that. Oh, no, I <laughs> keep moving on at that point. Oh, that, that is. Exactly. So as you're, as you're uh, working through this, this idea for solving the frustration, frustrating experience that you were having and considering the crowdsourcing piece, how did you get, uh, how'd you get this going early on? I mean, granted, you were you used it for yourself, I, I assume. I'm, I don't know that, but uh, is that accurate? That it was just like, hey, us and our little team, and we're going to kind of make this work? Sort of, you know, it was us and the little team. Um, you know, the headache that we ran into um, was a lot of the clients that we were talking to, you know, a lot of the lending institutions. Uh, my initial idea was let's just roll this out regionally to make it easy because what we were building was a two-sided marketplace, which is really oh, hard wow. to build. Okay. Um, so we wanted to, you know, start off regionally, let's just say in Illinois, you know, build up the data collectors, which are the proxies, the people taking the photos and then the clientele at the same time. Um, a lot of our clients said, you know, you either roll out nationally or we simply don't. Oh, wow. Um, so it was a painful start. So it probably took us a good two years, I'd say to build up the, you know, panel nationally, um, well enough. So that was the headache there, a good two years to build it up there. That's uh, that's quite a challenge. How did you, again, you mentioned two-sided marketplace for those that are not in technology. It's never easy to build up a, uh, a platform. It's really difficult to build up a two-sided marketplace. It sounds, uh, and, and from the experience of those probably listening in, a lot easier to step out to clients that have a lot of potential volume and get the you know clientele side. They acknowledge there's a need, there's a potential interest. It opens up ideas to, wow, what else could we accomplish that we can't do right now? But how do you go about building up the other side? Whereas you need, you need in this case, uh, proxies to go take those photos. Yeah, it's not easy. You've got to build both at the same time. I mean, if we just approached it from, you know, let's get the clients and they start ordering. Um, if we don't have the proxies in the field to fulfill those, you know, orders yes. quickly, uh, we fell on the client side and it was the exact, you know, same story. If we just got the data collectors and we didn't give them any work within about a one week yep. time span, we noticed, you know, they download the app and a week later they delete it. So, they you know, acquiring those users, you know, had a cost associated to it. And then when they delete the app and we'd lose them, um, it was just a pure loss for the company. So we really had to get, you know, strategic on, you know, one, how do we get the clientele and two, how do we, you know, keep the data collector um, and get them work in that region. So it was a brutal two years of, you know, consistently getting work and getting data collectors because you, you know, we might get an order in, you know, Chicago today and tomorrow it might be middle of nowhere, New Mexico, and you don't have any data collectors there. So we had to get very strategic in, you know, how we acquired users, how we kept them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. What were some of those early steps you took to uh, strategically get in front of people to help you? Because, yeah. I mean, I remember when you guys were first starting, I was like, hey, that's a great idea. I think I was one of those that downloaded the app and then like tried it once or twice, but never really got much traction with it because we had a bigger team. Most of the stuff we needed, we'd have somebody on the team just go take care of it. But I can totally appreciate that national uh, piece. How did you, how'd you get through that first, you know, year? Cause that was, that was impressive. A lot of people, a lot of companies don't live through that. It was hard. So really, I mean, what we had to do is um, you hear people saying, you know, we we burned money. I mean, we literally had to burn money where, you know, if we had regions where we had new data collectors that did not see a job for, you know, that one week, we would have to create, you know, jobs that nobody needed for one, yep. two, three Main Street. 
pay them for, you know, taking a photo of a property to keep them engaged and happy until we actually had a client that requested a real paying job in that area. So it was really just, you know, standing up the the market with the data collectors and creating, you know, a need for jobs that really didn't exist. So the the term of burning money really happened for about two years with us. So it was it was a crazy point for the company. Wow, that's phenomenal. And was it uh, you know, given that crazy point and those challenges you were up against, what were you able to utilize your existing um, appraisal business as a way to to help build this one up, or did you have to go out and raise capital, or were you just you know, working a side job, crowdfunding uh, or crowdsourcing Uber travel to help raise some income. And because these are wonderful things people think about, but then they get, they get stuck on the how and you overcame the how. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, luckily, you know, the appraisal business was, was doing well. So, you know, we took, you know, all of that money invested into proxy picks at that point, uh, along with, you know, just personal money and uh, never rose, you know, any outside funding uh, and just bootstrapped it as they called it and kept going. That, that is that is spectacular. So from your first, what was your first, uh, call it product, uh, service, if you will, that you delivered? Was it was it an app, it sounds like? Um, the two-sided app? Yeah, okay. so just a very simple app where it gave you the capability to create a new request being, you know, an exterior photo and you could go, you know, specific, it's a front photo or rear photo, whatever that might be. And then, you know, tapping, you know, any users within a close proximity would get a ping notification saying, hey, you know, nearby job available. You look at it, you accepted a four hour timer return on and they okay. simply go there, take the, you know, capture the required photos in the app, hit complete and we pay you the next day. And that was, you know, the simple MVP just for exterior photos. And that was it. Yes. Got it. And then how long did you stay at that uh, exterior photo level? Because I, I know you've gone beyond that. So just to kind of give people a sense, things have advanced significantly. But from just give a sense of how this was evolving, because anybody who's done appraisal work in any capacity can very much relate to these steps that you're, um, you are doing or having um, compensation for other people to complete. Of course. Probably a good, you know, three years into it, we started expanding outside of, you know, simple exterior photos where we started offering, you know, photos, not just on residential, we went into commercial, we went into, you know, the interiors of properties, um, all the way to, you know, very unique things where it opened up, you know, new verticals into new industries for us where people said, you know, could you get photos at night for us? And that was something new that we never thought of and new feature that needed to be built into the app. So it really opened up that world from, you know, where the initial idea started to solve an appraisal problem yes. into some new verticals now. So before you get into the solving the new verticals, was it because it was an app, is this primarily like I think about, you mentioned LIDAR today and the ability to pull out a digital device and all these devices now are, are in the palm of your hand versus carrying a bag, if you will, or a briefcase yeah. and a bunch of other tools in it. Was this something as simple as they would just need an iPad or an iPhone? Because again, a lot of people are not familiar yet with Proxy Fix. I, I have a hunch. I don't. I won't call it the Oprah bump, but uh, there's a possibility here, Luke, that there could be a huge surge uh, sure. in uh, in availability uh, for Proxy Picks because of it. But uh, share a little bit about the how that how someone interacts with the technology. Very simple. So the, you know, it's a native app for both Android and iOS. Um, mm -hmm. um, we keep the process as simple as possible. So you, you know, if you need to request photos, um, if it's an individual user, you simply create an account on the website and put that request that you could say, you know, get me a front photo of one, two, three main street, or we have, you know, different templates to pick from. So, you know, if you ought to take a deeper dive, you know, we do the PDR and the PDC inspection for the uh, GSEs. And that's a deep dive, you know, into the interior typical data that the appraiser collects. Yes. Um, so very simple to create a request for the larger enterprise clients. You know, they come in through an API call typically where they never go into our system. They sit within, you know, their loan operating system or whatever they have and they push the request back to us. So that's all through an API. And then, you know, from the user standpoint, for the data collector, um, it's very simple. We've kept it as simple as possible. You could take photos and it could be as simple as, you know, uh, still image. 
Um, recently, we've rolled out something called a 360, where you really oh. take eight photos um, together in a rotation. We stitch those together, and you feel like you're there on site. We have you know video capabilities, custom questionnaires. But we keep it really simple to where, you know, if we have, you know, photos or questions about the exterior of the property, you do those first and then you'll hop into the interior section. So we try to make it as efficient as possible. So you're not, you know, taking the, let's say, front photo, then you're going inside to get the furnace photo. Now I need a photo of the AC. I've got to go back outside. So when we build these out, we want to make it one as efficient as possible. So when our data collectors in that property... Um, be you know commercial or residential, they're out of there as soon as possible, not to inconvenience you know the homeowner or the manager on site, whoever it might be. Um, so we've made it very simple with you know um, the questionnaire. I mean, it works. It's conditional. So if you answer a yes to damage, now we'll ask you to take photos to document the damage. If there is no damage, move on to the next question. So we make it really simple. So if it's your first time completing an order. Mm-hmm you'll do a great job because it's so easy to follow. That's fantastic. Are are you still growing both sides of the business presently? Both sides, yeah. So we, uh, luckily today, you know, we don't have to pay um, for any advertising to gain new data collectors today. Congratulations. Luckily, it's a lot of word by mouth now. So anybody that completes a job, they're typically really happy to know how easy the process is, how quickly we pay them. They typically tell their friends about it. So that's how we're getting new users on the data collection okay. side. And then from clientele, you know, it's everything from, you know, just cold sales calls to conferences to everything else in between. That's uh, all word of mouth is always a wonderful way to uh, help grow the business. What, uh, especially in today's environment, there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't have as much work as they used to have. And this might be a way that they could supplement it. What what might someone, if they're in a market that's relatively, um, you know, relatively populated where there's some interest, I mean, can they earn a couple hundred extra bucks uh, a, a month or is it like, you, they, I mean, they're like one of those uh, YouTube advertisers where you're going to earn like $10,000 if you just invest a little bit of money. <laughs> What's the sense so that uh, you can continue to grow your sided market for the earnings? You know, it's a wide range. I mean, every year we're getting, you know, more people that we have to issue, you know, 1099s to. I mean, we've seen people, you know, some of the highest paying users have made, you know, forty to fifty thousand dollars, you know, for the year. And that's, you know, for a side gig, that's not bad. Side gig. And you know, the more that you do with us, the better. I mean, when you download the app, you'll simply qualify for the most basic assignment, which are, you know, simple exterior photos from public property. But if you take some of the training courses, you do the background check, mm-hmm. if you have a state credential like a real estate or an appraisal, a home inspector license, we have certain clients that, you know, state that they could only, you know, we can only assign orders to somebody that holds a state credential. So again, the population decreases. So you'll have, you know, more availability for those jobs. Those are typically higher paying jobs. So the more you build that profile with us, yeah. uh, the more income you'll make. It's very easy. I appreciate you taking the time to, to provide that answer, not just for our listeners, which I think is really insightful, but I I mean, I, I do get a lot of calls from people asking like, hey, can you introduce me to somebody or is there an opportunity? I've known you, I've known about your company, but I really didn't know that level of detail. I will gladly uh, point them in that direction. Um, a lot of people reach out to me from across the country and because they know that we, although like you, we don't just work in Chicago, we work in a number of major markets. They're like, hey, uh, can I join you? And I, a lot of times the answer maybe is not right now, but not no. And this is like, hey, here's something else though. So you can at least stay closer to the industry as opposed to you know just sitting at home. That is exciting. Well, I, I'm going to ask a question that most people are not aware of yet, but, uh, but I will. And that is um, how many of the new markets that you're in were your idea versus clients that came to you, or I should say prospects that came to you and said, can you do this? Was it mostly you or was it mostly them? It was 100% that way. I mean, um, yeah, the, the first one was a signage company out of Florida where they said, hey, could you get photos of, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase locations? And, you know, we simply said, give us, you know, an address yep. and tell us what photos you, you want and we could do that. So that was our first venturing into, you know, the commercial facility yes. bill. And I think three three months later, they said, you're doing really good. Um, we want photos at night now. Oh, fascinating. And for those of you that, that don't understand signage and visibility, what would be um, a typical reason why a signage company would want 
to see uh, the image, and then they would want to see it at night. So really the reasoning behind, you know, that request for, you know, the chase locations was that chase always wants to make sure that the illumination on their signage isn't only working, but it's illuminated to the level that it should be. So that's when we actually had to build in, you know, these specific time frames into our application where you could take a photo between this and this time frame. So that was a whole new world for us. So again, we had to build the new feature into the app. Um, it was something different for the data collectors to get used to, but that was, you know, the intro into that side of the world that we knew nothing about. And that was, you know, the second vertical that really started for us for the facility management side of the sector. I, uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I, I think one thing you mentioned early on, which I really appreciate, Luke, is that you had some curiosity around the appraisal not just being for the loan officer, maybe the mortgage company that you walked into and struck up a relationship with and said, hey, here's $50 off your first appraisal if you send us some work. And then, hey, I can go do some more work with some supervisors and learn my way up. But understanding that there's so many other constituents in um, real estate transaction and then just real estate in general. And what I appreciate is that so much of your growth, although it started with one solution, the solution actually serves many different potential users, um, the vast majority of which many people in appraisal have probably never thought about. But one thing you had mentioned previously, uh, and I was just, uh, we do a lot of work in the asset backspace. And so you had mentioned about um, validation of assets was a story you had shared. Can you, would you mind sharing that? You don't need to disclose any names because we don't want anybody getting in trouble because uh, somebody wasn't doing what they were yeah. supposed to. But uh, share how your services helped someone validate a, a tough situation they were dealing with. Yeah, so it was very interesting. Again, just a you know random you know client that reached out to us that had a problem, wanted to see if we could solve it. So the you know summary of that one is it was a lender on the you know private side, not you know real property, where they lent a couple of million bucks for several thousand vending machines that were supposed to be deployed to, you know, a few thousand locations. And after 90 days, they they felt something was off because none of the vending machines were generating any revenue. So when they reached out to uh, the person that borrowed that money, they said, you know, vending machines are deployed. Uh, they simply don't know what's going on. So they asked us to, you know, go out to these locations, um, get photos of all the vending machines. They weren't sure if, you know, maybe they weren't working, not plugged in, you know, what the issue is. Um, we completed, you know, all you know, a few thousand locations within under 48 hours, got them the photos back. And um, we really thought, you know, what did we screw up? Because every photo that we returned did not have any venue the whole night. Oh, geez. <laughs> so our initial thought is, you know, we yeah, had something yeah. wrong. So we got on, you know, we sent the, you know, request to the client, um, had a quick call with them, explained, hey, you know, let us know what we did wrong. There were no vending machines on site. They circled back um, a few days later with us and really thanked us for the service. They said we confirmed what they thought had happened. The person that lent the money never deployed the vending machines. Um, and this was a way to say, you know, now we know they've been sitting in a warehouse um, instead of being deployed and generating revenue. So one of those case uses that we, I never foresaw that, you know, we'd solve a problem like that, but it was really cool to hear about. No, that is... Um... For those that are in the uh, secured space, private lending, you know, there's such a huge industry. Like we, we um, you and I, and, and many of those listening, uh, have have taken the time, taken the courses, become certified professionals in valuation. But there's so many types of assets that get valued. I mean, we just happen to talk real estate an awful lot, but yeah. there's machinery and equipment, and there's inventory, and there's art, and there's intellectual property. I mean, there's so many different types of assets out there. And um, somebody at some point in time may need to put a set of eyes on it. And that's what I'm understanding and appreciating that ProxyPix is doing. Yes. Wow. Exactly. What are some of the more interesting current client opportunities that you're working on that uh, people that are associated with ProxyPix may have an opportunity to um, help uh, deal with and get compensated for? Yeah. So it's a wide array. I mean, it'll go from the, you know, simplest option of, you know, exterior photos of residential and commercial could be, you know, for lending purposes to make sure that the house is still standing, 
down to commercial to, you know, verify that the commercial vendor is maintaining, you know, landscaping or a painting company that's trying to, you know, bid out a new project or a, you know, asphalt company that's trying to get measurements on a new parking lot to bid that out down to, you know, national flooring companies leverage us to go inside of locations, get photos and measurements of the floor plans. So they have to send their contractors out for square footage. Um, all the way down to, you know, what we do in appraisal world for, you know, a deep, deep dive into data collection where we're collecting about 150 data points on the property with, you know, in addition to photos, a floor plan, and now, you know, the newest vertical being insurance that we recently got into. And that'll be, you know, similar for, you know, simple as an extra photo for a new policy down to a deep dive for uh, a claims policy if they, you know, roof caves in due to tree falling on it and you documenting either the damage or the repair. So lots of different ways to, you know, do work for us and three verticals that we're in now. Yeah, I think what's fascinating uh, about that amongst not only the diversity and I, some offline conversations we've had, there's significant growth in that space for you, is that um, many of those also have some uh, amount of valuation that goes on and like you said at the beginning, you just did residential lending work. There's so much more. And we've heard from a number of people here in, in this season that there's so much more valuation work that goes on than just origination or, if you will, a loan for a purchase. And you know whether it's in-place valuation, whether it's you know, mark-to-market, whether it's you know, diminution in value, damage, you name it. Um, yeah, that's such a fascinating uh, focus that you've got there, Luke. Thank you. Yeah, it's it'll keep expanding too. I'm sure new ideas will come uh, as clients have a need for it. <laughs> that is definitely definitely the case, and it's it's such a great experience here where so many people at some point, uh, maybe in their life or in their professional career, have had that frustrating experience. Like, man, it shouldn't be this way. Man, I can't believe there's not a solution. And in your case, yeah, there wasn't. And you're like, well, let me see what I can do. And you went out and and started to solve a problem that you were experiencing and then other people were all already challenged by it so they also in this case saw the need and the benefit of it uh, and it's wonderful to see that something that started with a client request for comparable photos has turned into what proxy picks yeah. is today and you're still so young in your growth and have so much opportunity ahead Exactly. A long runway ahead of us. So we're just getting started on this side. Fantastic. So as you look out over the next three to five years, and we'll kind of keep it maybe a little more tailored in the question towards real estate and valuation services, uh, what are you most uh, interested in or um, optimistic about from your perspective at Proxy Pit? So lots of changes coming down the pipeline for us as appraisers. Um I think that's going to be the most exciting thing. I, I definitely, you know, joke around about it with, you know, some appraiser friends where, you know, within the past 18 years of, you know, my career as an appraiser, the biggest change that I've really gone through is going from a tape measure to a laser. Uh, <laughs> and that's sad. We should have had a lot more advancements since then. Yes. So lots of changes to come. I mean, you know, we're all hearing about the new appraisal forms coming out, you know, the different ways of data collection happening, how the appraiser's job may potentially change. Um, I think what will be interesting is now, you know, everybody's really starting to talk about and accept, you know, new technologies into the valuation space. Where I think we're really going to go is I think the appraisers will change to, you know, more of a valuation analyst where the, um, the data, you know, for the subject property, the physical data will be provided to us. Um, could be, you know, via a data collection company, could be, you know, per the homeowner, the borrower, I know a lot of different topics are being explored, you know, at this time, you know, we heard a lot, you know, from people at the MBA where that side's continually evolving. Um, the one thing that I do know is, you know, if we do run into another hiccup like we did in what was it, 2020, where, you know, sometimes an appraisal would take, you know, 60 plus days or just simply never get fulfilled. Um, I know, you know, there will be, you know, steps to, you know, get the appraiser out of the process. So really what we're building is to, make the appraiser that much more capable so we don't run into those, you know, bottlenecks that we did two years ago. Because at the end of the day, if somebody can't obtain a mortgage or, you know, purchase a home due to just simply not being able to get an appraisal if it's in a rural market, 
um, that needs to get solved. Otherwise, us as appraisers will feel those consequences. So I think if we could solve, you know, the problems up front and, you know, the easiest scenario that I like to share, if it's a rural area where there's, you know, one appraiser for 10 cases, yes. um, let's get that data for the appraiser now. Let's do the data collection on their behalf. And if we provide that data to them within a few days and they can, you know, knock everything out from mm-hmm. there, it solves that futuristic problem of, you know, not enough appraisers in specific areas. Yeah, I, and I, I really respect uh, your perspective on that. And, uh, you know, I think if we just look back for anyone who at some point, maybe earlier in life, took some classes, maybe one of them was statistics and whether you liked statistics or didn't, um, it's all about um, accuracy of a larger data set based on a sample size. And you have to figure out like where the value is and the people who can really harness results from analyzing data uh, do really well. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, if I think back to when, when I graduated from school and I got, got started getting part-time jobs and what have you, and look and see what people made then and look at what people make now. Of course, they make more now generally, but yeah. those that have data abilities, they make many, many multiples more than the typical typical you know people finishing up some school. So I, uh, I commend yeah. your perspective. Definitely commend your perspective. Well, Luke, uh, we are so excited to have you uh, as a guest here in this season and for you to share what started out as a a frustration has turned into a source of solutions, not only for your peers. Like you said, you've got some people that are really in this earning a very healthy part-time income, but also for clients and creating solutions by solving futuristic problems. Really appreciate the contribution that you're making in the industry. Thanks, Mike. Always a good time chatting with you. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Well, as we bring this uh, this fascinating and in- insightful conversation to a close, definitely remember to continue to share this out. And uh, we look forward to uh, a little foreshadowing. We've got an upcoming season that's going to be heavily technology focused. We're already excited to have Luke back for that future season. But for the time being, thank you for joining us for another episode of Parusings, The Power of Values. And until then, stay healthy. Stay safe. And uh, hey, in this case for Luke, go take some photos. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pavru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. Create the change that you seek.